I'm Aaron Royal. This is a Greg Bennett show. Any questions? Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show, presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just finished a delightful conversation with a man that I've truly enjoyed watching for well over a decade as he's progressed from junior to under 23, where he was an under 23 world champion, into the professional ranks and watching him at the Olympics. And and now he's focused a little bit more on the middle distance 70.3s and challenge and Collins Cup and all of those races, Mr. Aaron Royal. And I just have a really fantastic conversation. Aaron is very forthcoming with his knowledge, his experiences, his good times and his bad times and what he learnt um, during some of those low times. And we spent some time discussing how to look after Achilles injuries and plantar fascia and, um, you know, and the struggles, the 24-7 sort of focus that you need to have as a professional athlete that you never really can be fully switched off. But just a wonderful conversation where we also discuss, you know, where the sport's at as a whole and where it's going. So truly enjoyed this one. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. You can also find Aaron on Any Question, where he can answer any questions you have. So go to Any Question, that's one word, Any Question on iOS or Android, or you can go to anyquestion.com and sign up from there as well. And go find Aaron Royal, ask him some questions. There's already thousands and thousands of answers on the platform. I think it's over 25,000 answers across 10 different channels that you can go explore, search and discover. The app is growing. There's so many of the world's greatest experts. So go check it out. I've actually loved being a part of it myself and answering questions and a little bit of housekeeping i just want to say thank you for listening and sharing the show and all your feedback i do get it please feel free to go to instagram or any of these other places you can direct message me or you can even go to any question and ask me a question there about the podcast what you'd like to see and i can answer it there as well i hope you enjoy this one as much as i did and remember success comes to those who endure just one moment longer All right, today I'm joined by one of the most consistent and most diversified professional triathletes in the world, winning and podiums at major events from the WTS Super Sprint Mixed Relays to non-drafting Olympic distance races like the Noosa Triathlon and Nepean to under-23 world titles and to Ironman 70.3s and middle distance events. The list just keeps going on. He's always at the pointy end of the race and making others chase. He's a multiple Olympian from Australia and he's married to UK's most exceptional non-Stanford who in her own right is an Olympian world and European champion and together they make up the ultimate power couple in the world of triathlon. I've been a fan of his for over a decade and I've always admired his aggressive style of racing and it's just an enormous privilege and honor to just sit with him and have a chat. So welcome and thank you for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show, Aaron Royal. How are you, mate? Hey, Greg. Yeah, good. Thanks. Good. Thanks for that that introduction. You said there's um, there were a power couple. Yeah, you could say I guess so. But also yourself. There's quite a few in triathlon, isn't there? There's yeah. yourself, Greg, and uh, sorry, uh, Emma and and Jan and Josh and Ash and. and Ashley Gentle, I'm talking about Josh Amberger. So yeah, there's quite a few, isn't there? But yeah, um, but yeah. none of us own none of us own the actual couples championship which you and Non <laughs> did at the start of the year. I mean, you guys just knocked that out of the park at the start of the year, and um, yeah, that was a decent windfall, wasn't it? Uh, how much was that? Hundred, hundred grand. Yeah. yeah. No, it was. Um, yeah, that was quite exceptional, actually. Um, uh, we don't have many trophies hanging up in the house, but that's one that is actually, I'm staring at it right now. I'm in the living room and I can see it. I can see it across from me. Uh, that's the one that non would allow to, um, to have hanging up because, uh, obviously we did that together, but no, you were there. Obviously. Yeah, um, I was announcing that on one somewhat blind. Actually, we didn't have much to see, <laughs> but, um, it was, uh, it was a great idea and I love the concept of it. I, I, I hope it's going to continue and because, you know, I, when I look back and Laura and I got together in 2000 and there were a couple of other couples in the world of triathlon, but it really wasn't, there wasn't much of it. But sort of 20 years later, there's just so many couples that have got together and have got married, have kids and families and everything else and have taken on the world. It's kind of cool to watch and it's 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 great to see you guys. When did you guys get married? Well, um... <laughs> oh, you got married this year or you're about to get married, right? About to get married in November. Well, actually, we were meant to get married in, in November last year, but obviously I'm Australian and as as I'm sure you know, the yeah. uh, the borders and travelling, particularly for Australians, was, was quite tough last year. Um, so yeah, we, we had to postpone for, for 12 months. We originally supposed to get married in November. Um, and then we put it back another 12 months to November this year. And, um, we, so, so normally the season, yeah, you know, mostly it's wrapped up by, well, well, well and truly by November, 
But um, this year, because the, the World Series is in Abu Dhabi, the grand final, and as we know, Abu Dhabi can be extremely hot, mm. the World Triathlon have decided to push it back to late November, which um, unfortunately for us coincided with the grand final. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll have to miss the, the WTS, WTCS grand final. But oh. hey. Not, Come not on, how, how did they not get in touch with you two before <laughs> planning a race? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, it, as uh, Non's, Non's announced, she's, she's retiring anyway after Super League in what, right, six right. weeks' time, so she, she wasn't too too bothered. And it's funny, actually, because the men race on the, yeah, the, the Saturday, no, the Friday, sorry, the Friday, yeah. and the wedding's on the Saturday, and there is, <laughs> there is a possibility um, that you could get a flight back late the Friday night and arrive early the Saturday morning. And I knew, uh, like jokingly, it, well, I was joking, but I've said to Non, oh, you know, look, there's this flight. Do you think I can get onto that and make it? I'll, I'll arrive 6 a.m. the morning of the wedding. And she looked at me with a really worried look like, what if your flight gets, gets cancelled? The, the whole day will be ruined. Uh, so she, she quickly put a foot down on that. And, I, and bet, as in- I bet she did. I bet she did. I mean, look, in the, I, I get it. When you're in the trenches and, you, and you're racing for your livelihood and, and, and world time, titles and everything else it's like but I think I think it's like when you're looking at you know being married to someone for the rest of your life and it's quite a commitment it's kind of like yeah it's kind of an important day you don't want to screw that one up um, no, no. I'm sorry what date is that what what date uh, November 26th date? so end of, ah, yeah, end okay. of November yeah I only asked Laura and I are November 20th I think oh. Courtney Atkinson's November 20th uh Justin Drew and Pip Taylor in November 20th Belinda Granger's November 20th so there's a whole chunk of us different years but all on mm. November 20th so you, you're in the same realm as us the same week well, we, we, all, <laughs> we all have the same idea though November no uh-huh. on no races typically yeah, end no of season go for a holiday a holiday a honeymoon afterwards stress-free yeah. We've booked a good honeymoon. Um, we're off to Inca Trail and, and uh, ah. Whistler skiing for a week. So, um, yeah, no, exciting oh, wow. times ahead. Obviously, got a few races before we get to that. But, uh, yeah, excited to get married at, at later on in the year. Well, what date is um, 70.3 Worlds? I should know. But are you going to do that? Yeah, I am. Yeah, so that, sh- that probably, depending on um, how the rest, well, I should only have two more races um, to go for the year, um, yeah. being Dallas, um, PTO race in a, in a few weeks and then 70.3 was, which is October 30th, I think end of October, oh, last, right. like the last yeah. weekend of October. Um, so yeah, those, those sh- yeah, those two should be my last races for the year, but depending on how those two go. And as we've, you probably, you know, all the PTO points coming out and the end of season ranking and all that sort of thing. I'm just trying to wrap my head around all of that stuff. Now it's, it's all new to me, obviously just doing short course for so long it's um i've never really had to think about the longest course stuff uh too much but um but you've found your form i mean this middle distance you know you seem to be coming alive with that i mean you know this past weekend you know had a solid win at the collins cup uh you had to beat uh, jason west um from the us and patrick langer from europe and uh, you know the great patrick <laughs> langer you know and and you did that very convincingly, almost getting absolute max points. I think you got 5.5. You needed to get six points for max, but it was pretty awesome when you might have been happy with that performance. Yeah, so I think um, in, in general, probably the, especially the way the short course racing is going now, it, it, it's not really suiting my strengths. I, I was never a racer or a, a person that could have the ability to run these low 29 minutes that we're starting to see now. Like maybe in my best day, mm. I was a, a low 30 minute runner on, on a good day. Um, so. Mm. It, certainly, I always thought that the 70.3s probably suited me a little bit better and, and obviously had a, a bit of success with Canada, uh, the Canadian Open and and yeah, the um, yeah. and the Collins Cup. Like the Collins Cup, probably for me, yeah, or, or, like you mentioned, I had a good race. and um, But I, I think to be fair to, to Patrick and Jason, both of them, we, we know how good they are, especially Patrick. He doesn't need any um, beating up. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows how good he is and, I think, yeah, Jason West has had some fantastic results. They were probably on a off day, I'd have to say. Mm. Um, they're normally a little bit mm. better than that. But, um, yeah, for me, it was a little bit of a lonely day out there. I think you were there last year, weren't you, at the Collins Cup? And it's a, yeah. it's a course that's mm-hmm. literally probably doesn't, especially as I'm still, you know, relatively new to this distance, a course that's pretty much dead straight, dead flat. 
Uh, not much to it. It probably doesn't suit my strengths as much. Uh, but yeah, you can only do what you do racing against these, against the people that you're up against. And, um, yeah, I was able to get pretty decent result and, and yeah, five and a half points for, for team international. Unfortunately, Europe were just too strong, but at the moment. The internationals did pretty well. Mm. I mean, you won four of 12, yep. you know, and two men, two women, mm. you and uh, Lionel Sanders both took wins. Um, and then on the women, it was Ashley Gentle and who am I missing? Paula? On the was it Paula uh, Finley, I think? Paula Finley. Thank yep. you. Yep. Yep. So two Australians, two Canadians yep. um, did pretty well for the internationals. It, well, it wasn't, what'd you, what'd you think of the whole, I don't know, the community feel and the way of racing for a team? I mean, triathletes, we're usually on our own and here you are, in your own team did you enjoy that yeah i thought honestly i thought it was it was awesome just the whole week around it well what the pto are trying to do is they obviously want hard fast fair racing but they're also trying to create a a spectacle aren't they to to draw Mm. in viewers and fans that aren't necessarily triathlon fans um and so and so collins cup is is that (laughs) times 10 probably compared to say a canadian open which is a little bit different to the collins cup but yeah it's they're really trying to create that spectacle side of things. No, I actually, I actually really enjoyed it, to be honest, because, you know, obviously if you're from America, you can associate when you're representing America at the Collins Cup, like you can feel like you're associated mm-hmm. to that. You are American, so you're, you're passionate about that. And same for people from Europe. So if you're racing for Great Britain, you're part of Europe, and so you feel passionate about that as well. Whereas international, it kind of, you're not necessarily associated with anything it's kind of like the rest which is what it is mm-hmm. the, the rest of the others and and so prior to this i was like i wonder you know would would i really feel like passionate about it you know as um as as passionate as say the americans feel when they're racing for america at the collins cup and yeah. i really did you know like we're competitive beasts at the end of the day and you know when you when we all got in the room together all the internationals and we got amongst each other and obviously crowey and aaron baker were out where our team mm. captains and they stood there the couple of days before the race and you know that you could tell that they looked at us and they genuinely or they sounded genuine when they said it they thought that we could win this and you know we weren't too far off i guess um i think what what sort of drew us back a little bit was when Europe won, most of their wins were by maximum points. So that that's how yeah. they they really got it um, got the win done. But no, I think yeah, I, honestly, I think it was a great weekend. Um, there were obviously tweaks to improve it. I think to improve the spectacle for the for the viewers back mm-hmm. back home, um, and even mm-hmm. for us as well. I think as as racing, we could probably they could have had better matchups. Um, the only one I think that was really competitive was Lionel, Sam Long and mm. Sam Lalo that that match up the others were were quite convincingly wins by by each by each athlete but no it's cool and uh, you know I know you were part of it last year I think um, it's only going to continue to grow and and yeah I'm excited to see hopefully I'll be continue to be part of it it's pretty awesome to see where the sport's at I mean you got a lot of a lot of people really trying hard to make something of it do you know what I mean it's like when you you look at the PTO and all that they're trying to do, whether you can debate that success or not, it doesn't matter. What I love is the effort that people are putting into it. And when you look at, you know, the Super League Triathlon, when you look at WTS, Ironman, Challenge, there's so many groups now that are all trying to put together outstanding events and trying to optimize the professional athletes out there but also provide great events for, you know, the age groupers and the amateurs and then also create a, an amazing spectacle. If you were to pick who's doing it best, let's, <laughs> let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> Super League, you know, or Ironman, um, PTO, who do you think is actually doing it the best right now? Tough question, Greg. Um, Putting you on the spot. <laughs> I, don't know. I, just, I just made that up, by the way. That's not even in my notes. I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> I, well, you know, honestly, probably think... The vision that PTO have, I think, in the years to come, if they can nail that, it's probably going to be the best for the sport. You know what, what they mm. what they want to do, as we've probably touched on. That you know, the thing with with PTO, they they're not afraid to put their hand up and go, "Oh, we may have got this wrong, or we may need to do this better, or etc." Like you don't often hear that mm. with Ironman, do you? Like mm. you know, um, they tend to think that what they do is the best, and yeah, everyone else is doing things wrong whereas i think what mm-hmm. pto are doing is is providing like a great platform they're trying to sell the sport and they're trying to sell the athletes as well i i, I kind of i do feel like they're trying to put the athletes first mm-hmm. and you know like i've been doing this for a long time i've had some 
some good years, especially, you know, in that period between probably 2012, 2016. Mm -hmm. And this year has been good in terms of like earnings. It's like by far my biggest earning year, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's my best performing year, but because of what's available now to the athletes, there's just far more opportunities. And I, and I guess it's not a problem. I wouldn't call it a problem, but that, you know, well, if it is a problem, it's a good problem to have that we have so much to choose from at the moment. Mm. With Super League, I had to choose between, do I want to do Super League or Dallas and 70.3 Worlds or do all these World Cups that are on now as well. So there's just so many choices at the moment, especially if you're more of a middle distance to short to middle distance athlete. Yeah, I think you're managing it right, if I give my two cents. And by the way, that was a really good response. I, I think you're managing it really well in the sense that you're keeping your, your foot in the door with the short course racing, whether that be Super League or WTS. And I think that makes you a better middle distance athlete anyway. But I think leaning more into the middle distance is going to probably start suiting you. I mean, you've had 10, 15 years mm. racing in the short course yeah. world and, and, you know, and, and you're, you're 32 now and it's kind of like all of that endurance is combining with that speed. You know, Chris McCormack and I used to call it our golden 30s, you know, mm. where it's like everything kind of comes together, strength, speed, endurance, all start culminating. And I, and I, I look at you as an athlete and I think it's, great that you're leaning more into this middle distance. But I think for you to optimize that, it is great that you're also just keeping your foot in the door, the the shorter, faster stuff as well. Would you agree? Yes, certainly. And I think with these like 100 events, so that the 100 kilometer distance, the 2K swim, 80 kilometer bike, 18 kilometer run kind of sits at that level. It's a bit obviously closer to half Ironman than it is Olympic distance, but it it brings it back a little bit more to the Olympic distance where you still, you know, you still – running and riding on your limit for, well, effectively it's two hours and 45 minutes after you take out the swim, but you still need to keep that speed. So so the plan, my my plan this year was to still continue with some shorter course racing to keep the points, to keep that speed, to still keep, you know, try and still be competitive in in some of the races, but also try and fit in some of the the middle distance races. Mm. But my biggest fear, and it, it probably rung true, um, when I did leaves this year, which did not go to plan that I, I really, I don't think, I don't feel like I'm an athlete that can concentrate on both at the same time mm-hmm. and be successful in both. Mm-hmm. And so my biggest fear was to do, trying to, to, to do both and, and do none of them, none of them well, um, <laughs> which is, <laughs> makes sense. yeah, which is obviously not, not where you want to go. So, um, and, and to be honest, I think there's probably, there's probably only a few that currently that can do both successfully obviously the norway yeah unless you unless you're from norway yeah. I, I don't yeah. know that any anybody's actually crossing over all the different yeah. <laughs> distances very very well yeah not flipping between the two and well and the norwegians are, are showing that they're doing all three of you you know you consider the ironman half ironman and oh yeah yeah so they're yeah. they're a different breed i think and um i'm uh, i'm not in that caliber i'm not i'm not I'm, you know i'm not good enough athlete to be able to do try and do both and do both of them successfully i really have to and i felt like that all my career just really like i have to just fully invest everything that i have into one sort of area mm-hmm. to get the best out mm-hmm. of myself uh, you're preaching to the choir <laughs> laura both laura and i would always say we had some talent but we weren't the most talented that if we wanted to try and be the best in the world, we better really stay focused and do what we need to do with absolute intent. And then we can maybe borrow being the best in the world for a moment. <laughs> That's kind of like, hey, uh, so let, look, we've, we've spent a good part of the show sort of talking about triathlon as a whole. I want to dive into you a little bit. And um, one of my favorite things to do on the show is just to rewind the clock and um, get an idea of your journey, where you've come from and how did you get to here? And, you know, the first question I like to ask is, um, you know, when did you find your passion for the sport of triathlon and how did that all look as a kid or how did that all come about? Well, I was, I was active as a kid from a very young age. I was in the, um, started swimming. That was kind of where I, I first found my love for endurance sport or, or just sport in general at that point. And as you probably know, I don't, I don't know, did you, did you swim in a squad as you're young, when you were younger in, in Australia? That is? Uh, I Kind of did, but I really only took up swimming once I decided to do triathlon. Right. So I'd already done a triathlon very poorly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, came out of the water second last and thought, hey, I better go practice this if I want right. to be any good at it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I was unlike a lot of you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyone that knows, it, it's probably not only in Australia, but uh, swimming coaches as a, at a young age, particularly in Australia, were, were quite hard. And so I was swimming mm. a lot. By the time I was 10, 11 years old, I was probably in the water eight, nine times a week. 
um, just because the, wow. the, the swimming coach was quite hard and, and really almost forced us that that's what we had to do if we wanted to remain in the squad. And, and just through that, I was I, would, I was always lent more towards the endurance events. So like the, the 200 butterfly, the 200 free at that age, that were like the longer mm-hmm. events. And then just through school, sport, cross country, I was quite good in the, in the cross country scenes and would, without even training for it, I'd make the, um, the state sort of then into the national level of cross country running. And it was, I think at around about the age of, I want to say 13 is when I first was introduced to triathlon, my, my swimming coach, that was a different one that I had prior to, to this age. But, uh, when I was 13, we, we had a different coach and he did triathlon as well. He was part of Maitland triathlon club out, out West of mm. just in from Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Because I grew yeah. up in Newcastle, Australia. Yeah, he said, "Oh, why don't you just come out and try it one time?" And and I did. I like, absolutely loved it. So I was yeah about thirteen at the time, and I, I was a good swimmer. Was pretty good runner at the time. And what kid doesn't love riding their bike, really? So it was yeah. like just and and I was so used to just swimming up and down a black line, and to go and swim in like this time at this point it was at Maitland Trial Club, but then it progressed up to the Foster Triathlons. At that time, it was mm-hmm. and the New mm-hmm. South Wales Junior Series, all these type of races. And I just thought it was just genuinely so much fun. I just had that an absolute ball and found success, I'd say, relatively quickly as a young age, but it was still a relatively new sport then. And, and no one was doing triathlon. They didn't grow up as just doing triathlon at that age. They always came from different sports into triathlon. And, yeah, just sort of progressed my way through the New South Wales pathway system. And then when I was around about into my late teens I think it was getting close to end of school year oh no yeah it was after my last year of school that's when it was I moved from Newcastle down to Wollongong to join my then coach Jamie Turner he had a squad down there um mm-hmm. that we that were known as the Wollongong Wizards it's not really yeah um Glenn yeah. Jorgensen's yeah. coach yeah, yeah Glenn Jorgensen's uh training squad that's right yeah 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 no so it was it was quite a good squad for for quite some time and that's that's sort of how I kind of got into it and then from from Wollongong, when I moved down there, we, we kind of moved up and into the, that's when I sort of got to the point where I was starting to race internationally and progressed from there. So it was almost like you you found it young and just kept developing your talents, realized you had some talents and strengths. And, and it sounds like because you spent so much time in the pool, you know, getting so fit that it crossed over to swim, bike and run relatively I wouldn't say easy, but efficiently um, by the time you were 13 and then finding the squad and having the system in place that was allowing you to train with really great athletes under a great coach, all of a sudden you you could pull the trigger and be all in on your career pretty early on. Is that how it was? It was just kind of like, okay, I'm doing this and this is what I'm going to be about? Kind of. So before I moved from, from Newcastle, so when I finished school, my parents always really supported everything that I wanted to do all the way through. But obviously, when I said I want to move from Newcastle down to Wollongong to do triathlon full time, they start to think, "Well, hang on, can you can you do this?" I'm, I'm sure a lot of parents um, would have, would have yeah. been the same. Can, can you do this full time? Like, what do you mean? This is all you're going to do? <laughs> and I didn't want to go to university. That was not really what I wanted to do. And so before before I left Newcastle, my dad made me apply for a lot of apprenticeship apprenticeships because he said, "Well, if you're not going to university," at least apply for something. We don't, doesn't need, mean you have to take it up if you get one, but at least you've got that option and maybe that's the way you want to go down. So I remember, um, so Newcastle's kind of like in the Hunter Valley of, of Australia and just out west of there, there's a lot of coal mines. Um, and so dad made me apply for, I think, a couple of electrician, electrical apprenticeships in the mines, which they pay quite well. And so, yeah, I had to do all that sort of stuff before I moved to Wollongong and, and fully committed to it and, and I did and um, I didn't fully go through the process of, of getting the job. I, I made the decision that's what I wanted to do beforehand. Uh, but then when I went to, went to Wollongong, I did have to I did study for about a year. I, I studied to be a teacher. But the problem with, well, Southern Hemisphere countries, I guess, that the university always runs over the Northern Hemisphere summer, which is obviously when all the racing mm-hmm. is on. Um, and so I, I had to stay back, I think it was 2010, no, 2009 it was, uh, that was the year I qualified for junior worlds. It was my last year as a junior and all of the, my competitors and the people that I was racing at junior worlds, they were all over in Europe racing. And, uh, <laughs> I was back, I was back home in winter studying and, and trying to fit in training at the same time. And, um, I, not only did I not enjoy that, I didn't, uh, I felt like I didn't progress that year. I kind of re- regressed 
And so, yeah, we made the decision mm. from 2010. Was that was when I basically went all in and, and let's see, let's see what happens. I think I, I left Australia. I want to say I, I was lucky enough that I had a scholarship with Hunter Academy Sport that that paid. They, they had a two thousand dollar grant and they, that paid for my flight over there and back. And I want to say I went with around about eight hundred dollars in my bank account, which doesn't <laughs> last very long. Not the four or five months that I was planning to stay over there. And um, I'm sure you can attest to this when in your early days of traveling, I, I had to get into races and I had to win money. Otherwise I was having to pay the hundred. I had to keep, I knew I had to keep a hundred dollars in my bank account so that I could pay the hundred dollar change fee if I ran out of money to get back to Australia. That's, that was the only thing I had to do was make sure that it doesn't go below a hundred. If it goes below a hundred, then I'm stuffed. I'm stuck in it. Uh-huh. I'm stuck in I'm stuck in Europe. So um, yeah, that's kind of where it went all in. And, and luckily, thankfully that year it was, relatively successful. I was able to stay the whole five months and, and come home with a little bit extra money in my pocket. But um, yeah, that was kind of the point where I went all in and, and didn't really look back since then. I love that story. For me, you know, it always seems, you know, you say you're a professional triathlete and people, oh, it sounds so glamorous. And, and you hear where people have had to start, right? And it's that real hand to mouth type, just get me one race to the next. Who, who's, uh, whose room can I crash on the floor? How many people can we put in one hotel room? <laughs> you know, let's all rent a car together, whatever it takes, right? It's like this. Um, but for me personally, I think back with tremendous fondness from that time and mm. um, the mateships that you created, you know, from, you know, I think of Trent Chapman and um, Andrew Johns and a couple of guys that I was growing up with and, and training and racing around around the world with and to have that mateship was did you have a good you know you had the squad but were there other mates that traveled with you and were at the same kind of demographics in terms of income and trying to get by yeah yeah um uh, Sam, so Sam Alvinson was a good friend of mine I, I know he's been on the on the show before yeah. and uh, lives in lives in Boulder now but um yeah we grew up we lived in Wollongong together for for a few years we were very very similar <laughs> in in terms of like just really had to scrap to get by in those in those early years and, and yeah like I said my parents supported me as, as much as they could but at the time my dad was only owning a small family run fruit and veg business and, and those people that have run small family businesses before know that they're always up and down and and this was a period where it was down so they couldn't financially support me as much as what they really wanted to so yeah we, like we said we had to really um hustle and, and sam was very much similar to the same but we had you know, like you said we had the great time like i i look back now and to save money we would go but we're on the same french team this is sam and i still and we would go in and stay for longer periods of time with our German team to save money on accommodation. And some of those times that we had, we probably can't talk about on a podcast, but um, <laughs> they were some of the be- honestly, some of the best times with some of the other athletes that are, well, that they were athletes at the time. They're on doing other things now, but yeah, like you said, I, I look back on those memories so fondly. Um, I remember like booking, so you would, you would try and book, well, sometimes I would book a train to get from say Spain to France for a race. And you could either, travel during the day or you could travel overnight and often would take the overnight one because you're like well it's like my trip to the race but it's also my night's accommodation I don't have to pay that <laughs> night um and so we had to do we did stuff like that yeah I had some of the best times some of those best times in the early years were were stuff that I'll look back on when I finally do finish my career is, is some of the some of the most fun that I, I definitely had but I think there's also uh, there's a, a strength of character and a hardness you get from those years you know I've had Craig Alexander on the show a couple of times Crowy you know he talks about being in France and, and doing much of the same thing and that was sort of in the late 90s and I feel like the guys Simon Lessing you know four-time uh, triathlon world champion he was a real kind of hand and mouth to guy uh, to begin with and then he just went on and I, I think there's so much in that. Chris McCormack's another one. Everybody's got these stories of kind of going, okay, I'm packing up and leaving. I've got a few dollars in my bank account and I have to make money and race. And uh, I was much the same, you know, leaving leaving Australia and you kind of go off to Europe or, or North America and you turn up to these races and be like, okay, where's the money go to? All right, how, what, what do I need to do? Maybe I can't win it, but I definitely think if I can get fifth or fourth, I'm good to go. Yeah. And look, and I look at you and, and think, well, hang on, you're only 32, which I, I still think is young in the sport of triathlon, especially as you, you know, there's plenty of races around now. And I, I think if Craig Alexander is a, another prime example of that, that really he hit his form well into his 30s. You know, and, and now we talk about him being one of the greats, you know, with three Ironman titles and two seventy point three world titles. But I think there's a lot of that 
going through the hard times and making it work. When, when you look back at your career now, what are some of the really big highs that stand out for you? Well, I, yeah, I think um, probably a career highlight in terms of, of performance and then, you know, what I went on to learn from that was um, my under-23 world title back in, in 2012 in Auckland. It was, I would say, kind of unexpected at the time. Um, I certainly hadn't mm-hmm. been showing that I could produce a, a race like that against the guys that I was up against and then, yeah, went on to, to win that race. I think it really just ignited this or flicked a switch I would say inside me that hang on a second I can actually compete at this sort of level and I know it's only under 23 but there was some good quality athletes in in that race and not only that it taught you how to win races like it's actually (laughs) it's really hard to win you know that sounds funny but like to actually win a race is is really difficult to go and have a good race is is one thing but to win it because you're coming up against everyone wants to win the race so Mm -hmm. to to actually win races is, is quite difficult Mm-hmm. That, that there would be one of the, the career highlights. And You're thinking about the winning. Let's just talk about that for a little bit because it's a topic mm-hmm. I enjoy. What was it that you think you learned from that, that under 23 world champs, you know, and, and as you mentioned, the people, Fernando Alaza was second, Thomas Bishop was third, Pierre Lacour, who just won world long course on, on Sunday, he was fourth. The list goes on and on. It, it was a who's who of this next generation of triathletes and you went and won it by three seconds over Alaza. But what was... Mm-hmm the thing that you learned about winning there? What did it take to actually win and not just be on the podium or top five? Yeah, it took like obviously a lot of self-belief. You obviously need that. And Was that and, like, in the race or pre, pre-race? Both? Probably more, no, I'd say more so um, in the race. Yeah. Everyone kind of thinks that they can win the race before the race or not everyone, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of people go into the race thinking that they can win it, but it, you know, when the times get tough, when, when you're hurting, when you're looking across and you're questioning whether you're feeling good or is this feeling person feeling better than I am, to have that belief that, you know, I can still win this is, is quite difficult. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I certainly haven't won a lot of races in, in my career. It's what really sort of ignited that a little bit to, to try and continue that, that belief. And I, I did have some success immediately after that, especially uh, racing in in Australia in the um, in the, the Australian races that we did early on and and a few other races that I that I had some some success as well. So it's hard to it's, it's a long time ago now, ten years ago. Geez, it's gone, <laughs> it's flown by. <laughs> I can't believe it was ten years ago. But um, can you remember the self talk you were going through when you were all running together that ten k? And was it? You know, one of us has to win. What, what what was going through your mind? Can you remember that? I'm always curious because that was a breakthrough race for you. Yeah, no. So we, we were doing, um, Jamie, my coach at the time, had a, a, a speed coach. Um, so he was actually the the Australian relay coach, Paul Hallam, his name was. Because mm. a lot of races back then were, were coming down to last four, 500 meter burnups. They were quite a bit more tactical. So we did a lot of, a lot of speed stuff. So I, I had quite a lot of belief that if I could maintain with these guys, and like you mentioned, Alaza at that time, he I think you may have had a WTS podium, which is was mm. quite big for an under twenty three athlete at that point to be to be performing at that sort of level and then racing under twenty threes. Yeah, I, I, I just kept saying like I remember it started with about ten off the bike and then it slowly whittled down, whittled down, and you're like right, another one gone, still feeling good, just keep believing, just get down to that last five hundred meters, um, and then when it's time to go, go and go with conviction. Mm-hmm. But at no point was I thinking that I couldn't win it. It was always just belief that, all right, you're in this and you can you can really win this race. Mm-hmm. But it was almost like it was never really a thought that winning was an option. Uh, sorry, not winning was an option. It was always, this is what I need to do to win, not this is what I need to do to podium. Or mm-hmm. And I know probably it's not always the best, you know, the best, maybe not the best mindset to have. Sometimes they, you know, outcomes um processes rather than than outcomes but that, at that point my mind was just so focused on winning that there was no other option really yeah no i, I love that i love that and and i i think there's so much when you that learning how to win is something about that that it's kind of like you can be comfortable like you said being good but but to be the one that actually is steps on top of that dais and and what what did it take um quite often it's very specific preparation for a long long period of time to get ready for one specific race it is all about the process of building and then like you said you know really focusing on the process but there is a time where you almost got to put no limit on yourself and not stress about losing you know don't even mention losing in your mind and just be 
you know, as you said, be, have the absolute conviction that you're going to win and owning it. I think that's unreal. So, okay, that that was a, a big high. Go on, I interrupted as you were you were getting into the flow of the other highs. Well, there's there's been quite a few over the years. I think probably well, I had another high in in 2016, followed by probably only six weeks later, what I consider a bit of a low for, for my career. And, and that was the high was being the, the Leeds World Series podium mm-hmm. that I had. And then only eight weeks later, I think it was six to eight weeks later, um, the Olympic Games in Rio being what I consider one of the low points. But I went into to the Leeds World Series. It was an Olympic year. Um, at that point, I was I was an, a chance, but an outside chance, but I was at a chance at a medal. You know, obviously, we had the Brownleys, and at this point, we still had mm. Gomez to contend with. Um, we know that he well, he didn't end up making the start line for, yeah. for, for an, an injury reason, but um, I was yeah more of an outside chance, and that Leeds race is probably the one where everything just completely flowed. Mm. It's really hard to describe. Just everything seemed so smooth, so easy, and... I came third behind Alistair and, and Jonathan, who went on to win gold and silver mm-hmm. at the Rio Olympics just eight weeks later. Yeah, I finished that race with belief that I could maybe step on the podium in um, in Rio just eight weeks later. And and obviously, yeah, like I mentioned, um, Javier was out, but there's still some top athletes to contend against. But yeah, I had that belief that from then on that, that I could, could do well. That period between Leeds and... Um, Rio, I just think we, it was my again, my coach at the time, Jamie Turner, um, I just think we probably didn't get that preparation period period right and fell into the trap of what a lot of athletes, I think, mm-hmm. do and get wrong is um, it's an Olympic Games. You have to do more. You have to <laughs> train harder. You have to be as light as you've ever been. All these mistakes that people make and you know you probably shouldn't do them, but we've just fell into that trap and, yeah, went to to Rio and just really underperformed and I can look back on it now and and to be honest I am quite proud of the result I mean the performance wasn't anywhere near this is Rio I'm talking about now but um Mm. wasn't anywhere near what I knew I was capable of but I you know I came ninth in an Olympic Games and I can look back at that now and as I definitely towards the end of my short course career it's it's something that I am proud of you should be. Um, you should be. And I, I, I was really surprised to hear you say that that was kind of, I get it with your expectations coming in, that it often feels like, you know, the carpet's being ripped out of your, under your feet. But I kind of, in ninth at Rio, I thought you guys had, the whole Australian team had a very solid performance in Rio. Mm-hmm. It's one of those, as you get older and you move further away from it, I think you're going to be even more and more proud of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it, I don't, very few people walk away from the Olympics going, yeah, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got the gold medalists for sure. They're usually pretty happy, but even the gold medalists I've had on this show, for the most part, they've all talked about how that now defines them as a human being, not just as an athlete, that they're almost like, oh, if I could just remove that and just be, you know, who I am without having to be defined by a gold medal. So it's almost like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, (laughs) you know, and you do your best performance that you can deliver on that day. But yeah, I've had that many conversations now with gold medalists from across the sports, not just triathlon, swimming and running and everybody else on this show, that it's not always what it's cut out to be either. It's very nice in that moment, but then later on it's like, eh. yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe yeah, for you and I, it's a yeah. good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, and you hit the nail on the head there. You Very few leave an Olympic Games satisfied, do they? No, like, um, no, exactly. Well, yeah, what, none was fourth, right? Yeah, behind yeah. the best so, friend uh, Vicky was, was third. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> you were, you were, I was fourth, and my wife yeah, Laura was yeah. fourth. Um, <sighs> but it's like you know, we uh, I think I kind of enjoy it almost now. Like it's not even. Mm. Don't get me wrong, a medal would have been lovely, but I'm a 50 year old man that quite enjoys talking <laughs> about my story of getting fourth. It's like you know, <laughs> you kind of it doesn't yeah. it doesn't define me anymore. I think mm. when you're in it, it's it's a lot more like okay. It's all about that. But then as you start separating yourself from it, you go, you know, it's nice to have gone, performed at my best that I could have done on that day. And it is what it is. You've had some injuries in the past and things. How how have you dealt with those and how have you learned from those? Touch wood, I haven't. Yeah, I've been relatively lucky in terms of of big injuries. Mm. I tend to have a lot of tendon issues. Yeah. And sometimes, honestly, they can be worse, can't they? Because... Yeah. There's no end in sight, is there? Well, it t- seems like that a lot of the times that there's no end in sight as opposed to a bone injury where you know, right, okay, if it's whatever, a stress structure, typically six weeks, maybe eight, whatever it may be, but 
you not kind of know if, like, if you give it the right amount of healing, you're going to return. And if you do everything right from that point on, you're, you're going to be fine. Whereas tendon issues, they're just an absolute pain in the backside. Mm-hmm. I don't know about how, how you are now in sort of post-career, but I'm getting up out of bed every morning and the first 10 minutes you know, limping around you should you should see me as I walk down the stairs it's like one step at a time like holding onto the guardrail as, as the old as the old Achilles slowly slowly comes around yeah a lot of that a lot of that isn't actually as bad when you retire because guess what you don't have to train as hard and your body's not as fatigued and sore and and inflamed and you know so don't get me wrong I'm still pretty stiff and sore from years of abuse yeah. but um, yeah. you're still very much in the thick of it so getting out of bed that yes i can remember that very clearly <laughs> <laughs> and you know yeah because you know, like yourself and like you just said if you're really sore you don't have to go and do that run if you don't mm-hmm. want to or you can push it back another time whereas we we sort of still have to do it so um mm. yeah that's not fun i guess um and it gets a little bit draining you know, i think last year was probably that i think that was probably the toughest year in my career and i, I never actually really missed much training to be honest but i was really battling with both Achilles by the end of the year mm. in the mornings, and like I mentioned, tendon issues are just such a pain in the backside that you just it's just constantly draining. Like every day, you're waking up, yeah. and in the middle of the night, you're waking up and you you you're, you're moving your leg up or your your ankle up and down. Oh, is that feeling better? Is it feeling worse? You're just constantly analysing things. And being an Olympic year last year, it was that's obviously adds a little bit of extra stress anyway. And Australia were trying to qualify three spots for the for the Olympics and I was that guy that had to try and oh, do yeah. all these races to go around and get the th- third spot. I think I flew from Leeds. We, we realised after Leeds WTS last year and there was one race after that, which was in Huatulco, Mexico, before the Olympic qualifications cut, uh, period cut off. And after Leeds, I think I was like 12 points outside of qualifying Australia, that third spot. Like two days later, the, the, the option was either we – we just only have two spots at the Olympics or I, I, I was the only one that can do it. It's not that it's someone else from Australia can go and do it. I was the one that had to go and do it to get those points. So flew, got on a flight and flew to Mexico to, to really try and get these, these points to get, yeah, get Australia that third spot. Meanwhile, in, in the moment of, of battling some pretty bad flared up Achilles, mm. that was pretty hard to be honest. That was dealing with that was probably the hardest part I'd say in, in my career and no one would attest to it. I probably wasn't, the person, I guess, that I sh- would want to be. I was, you know. Um, well, she just, pushed yeah, my, the, the wedding got pushed back a year, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's, yeah, that's the secret reason. No, but, but, but were you racing, were you already on, were you one of the two though or were you racing for your, your own spot, for third spot? Uh, Jake was the only one that was pre-qualified already. So there was, at that point, there was one spot left and no one had, Okay, nobody had it. No one had it. Okay, so that third spot could have been yours or it could have been somebody else's and you could have had the second or third. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. But that's brutal. You know, I I think of you with that Achilles pain and I I also think about the the 24-7 of being a professional triathlete that you, you know, like you talk about lying in bed and like you're constantly on, it's a, you're constantly having to think, is my body right? Am I ready for the next day? Am I eating right? Is my sleeping right? Am I blah? And it's, a, everything's a constant analysis, right? And I remember my Achilles and my plantar fascia and my feet were just a, a fairly constant throughout my career of management. And it became a thing every single morning, just get up and I'd have the, the trigger point technology, you know, the little roller and you put it on the block. Yeah. Every single morning for probably 15 years from, um, you know, 2000 or wherever it was invented. I met him in Minneapolis, I think, when he first started the business and started working with with them and and just every single morning until 2016 um, having to do those rollers on my Achilles and even more so the quad roller. Um, I found, you know, if I could loosen up my psoas, my, my hip flexors and my quads, then actually my Achilles would let go. It became... I don't know. Have you found that? Have you found like if you do that psoas stretch off the side of the bed that it relieves your Achilles? All of that stuff that you were just mentioning there where you're having to do that every mm. – for 15 years, I couldn't – Yeah, I'm hoping I don't have to do it for another, for that, another <laughs> might be, but 12 years. It's worth it if yeah, we're I'm talking not, about all the all the world titles you're going to get, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully. But um, it's draining though, isn't it? It's like, draining. It is draining, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's a, that's the thing that retired me, by the way. I'm sorry to make it about myself, right. but it wasn't that I, yeah. I love the hard training. I love the mm. hard training. I love the hard racing. I, that's why I, I feel most alive. What I can't stand is having to do the, the rollers every morning and the, mm. the constant body maintenance. Yeah. You just want to get up and go out the door and yeah. train, don't you? Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's another thing with tendon issues is that it doesn't seem like what works for you might not necessarily mm. work for me or yeah. for another yeah. athlete. And, and I can't pick it. Like there's times where on Tuesdays, typically our track, our track day. So we, we tend to run hard on those days and I could be on Monday, my Achilles could be really flared up and I could be in a lot of, quite a bit of pain. And I might be thinking to myself, well, I'm not even sure I can run track tomorrow, mm. let alone do anything. Yeah. Specifically really fast. Cause typically when you get on the track, it's, it's sort of overspeed or at least it is for us. And then I'll wake up Tuesday morning or, and it's completely gone and I'm completely fine and I can go and run track or vice versa. I can run on track and it's a bit stiff and really sore. And I'll be like, well, I might have to take the day off tomorrow running and then wake up and it's completely fine. So I just haven't been able to find a pattern where Mm -hmm. I wish I did. I wish I knew, right. If I did this, that settles it down for these runs. You're just going to have to put up with a deal with a little bit of niggly pain in between. If you do this, then again, before your second run, um, you should be fine, sleep, yeah. and you can get through it. It's frustrating, particularly last year. Was yeah, yeah particularly last year. This, this year, it's it's a little bit more manageable. And, and are you wearing yeah. shoes with a little bit of heel to toe ratio that are giving you you know eight nine millimeter drop? Yeah, typically, yeah, that's yeah. I, I do do that. And yeah, yeah. I, I have found carbon shoes have have really helped as well. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, look, all of these things, I just, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I was out on a run and, you know, you've heard of Graston, you know, where you're scraping yourself or whatever. And I'd take my wedding mm-hmm. ring off and, <laughs> and I just start scraping my, you know, my soleus and, and my calf, um, just trying to create some space. And all of a sudden I thought my run would be over and then I'm like, Oh, I got another 20 K me or whatever. It was like, <laughs> I just had to stop and scrape, um, while I was out there. Yeah. And that, that became my, I had, I have so many, we can talk about offline if you want. I have so many things about trying to just keep going with my Achilles and plantar fascia. They're the two that my lower legs would try and take me out the whole time. Um, Mm. So I became very good at trying to manage all of those with different little techniques. (laughs) So I'll share them with you offline. But (laughs) but the scraping was good. Did did you ever... um because I did have some plantar fascia issues issues in 2015. Did you did you ever tear yours or was it? Um, yeah, I had micro tears. So and then you know the scar tears. tissue lays down and when it lays down it creates that quite that the nodules across your your arch of your foot you know along the plantar fascia mm-hmm. and so I would um, I went through a process of a month or two there of really deep grasping so really deep scraping um, through there yep. with different tools agony um mm. but it got rid of it really laid out the scar tissue so it wasn't so you know it, it just smoothed out that whole plantar fascia but then it was also really working that whole line from the plantar fascia you know and you think of the fascial system of the body so the plantar fascia connected to the achilles and going up through the calf and then up through the you know the quads and hamstring and so as and releasing all of that through deep graston and then even some dry needling um all of that tend to work for me but it never completely got rid of it. I was, you know, you got to remember what you're doing is not exactly healthy either, right? So <laughs> you, you, you're pushing your body way beyond what it's meant to be and what it's capable of. And and so when you're doing that, the inflammation through the body is always going to be a lot higher. And so it's um, these things tend mm-hmm. to just wear on you over time. Um, yeah. And that's where things like hydration and getting in the right fats and all of that stuff. That <laughs> I'm sure you already know all about it, but it's like <laughs> trying to just make sure you re- reduce the inflammation in the body. Um, yeah. And, and then understanding when to do ice baths and when to do what's the right timing of those. Um, I learned not to do them right after activities because that would only just force the body to tighten up more. Um, mm. So it became... Yeah, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I feel your pain, yeah. mate. So I'm sorry yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. making you about me, but it is, it's frustrating and it is a work in progress every single day. Yeah, no, I, the reason I asked you if, you, if you're tore is because, um, like I said, I had some plantar fascia issues and I, I completely ruptured it or, or wow. pretty well completely ruptured it. Yeah, and it had to be in a boot and et cetera. So I probably should have mentioned that when, when I said I haven't had that many yeah, you've major had a few. injuries. That was, yeah. <laughs> That was probably the, that was a, probably the, the biggest one that I've had where um, it didn't require surgery or anything like yeah. that, but I was in a boot for about six weeks and then you know, a long progress build back from that. But once, and I'm, I'm touching wood again, but once once I rehabbed and did everything fine, I haven't felt anything 
ever yeah. since. So I think maybe, and I have heard, I don't know if this is true, this might be just people making it up, but I have heard that people that have had plantar fascia issues that have wanted to tear it because they've heard that once you tear it and it, re- it heals, it, there's no issues anymore, jumping off steps on the like angled things to make it rupture their plantar fascia. I mean, I don't suggest this at all, but I have heard that that's what some people do um, to to really to rupture that, it, that then to make fascia. it stronger. Yes, yeah, <laughs> crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, this is the I world do not, we live in, though, isn't it? We all have to yeah. do something stupid to be stronger. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get, I get the mindset. Of it. <laughs> uh, when you when you um, look at your career now, I mean. Obviously, you've learned a lot already. Um, you've been in the sport already for, for quite some time. But again, like I said earlier, 32. On the bucket list, races that you would love to win, is there anything that is driving you and inspiring you to in this next 10 years of what you want to achieve? And I just put 10 years on you. Sorry, buddy. But 10 years is what I think you got. So go on. <laughs> 42. Jeez. So yeah, so bucket list races. I did... I do, do you follow? Well, did you see Cam Brown? Sorry, we'll yeah. sort of digressing yeah, yeah. a little bit, but Cam Brown lately has been doing um, a lot of his bucket list races. I saw that. I saw he's travelling yeah, around uh, the world, ticking boxes. Is he fifty? Yeah, yet? he must be getting on. He's forty nine, I guess. 49. Yeah, his yeah. hashtag is fit at fifty, so I'm guessing he's still he's yeah. 50, at least in his fifties. <laughs> so a lot of those races. So he did the Alpe d'Huez triathlon, yeah. and these aren't races that I particularly think I'd be good at. But yeah, those those races in Europe, Alpe d'Huez, Roth. And the Umbra Man, there's another one there. Yeah, so those three look like amazing races. Um, and then in the States, I really want to do, I was actually really close to doing it this year, um, Alcatraz. Oh, you haven't I'm done sure Alcatraz done. yet? Yeah, that's, no. you'd, you'd crush that one. Absolutely. Yeah, was, and it, it's quite a, a um, one of those bucket list races to do. So, Oh, no, mate, you've got to do that. You've got to do that before you go too all in on your mid, middle distance to long course racing. Yeah. Keep some of that speed Next and year. power you got. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll mark that down now next year. I think the reason I didn't do it this year, because I was on the plan, uh, was I had to go back to – so it's don't marry a foreigner. If, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're Australian, I did, I did that, don't mate. marry I did a, that, trust me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's an, I don't know if you needed what sort of, I'm sure you needed some sort of visas and et cetera mm. to get married in the US if you yep. got married in the US. But mm. to get married in the UK, oh, it was an absolute nightmare. So um, anyway, I had to go back to Australia and lodge my visa to be able to get married this year in the UK and my passport was away. And so anyway, I had to cancel that trip. But oh. So San Fran, um, Alcatraz, that's probably up there as one of the, the big ones. And then obviously the, the Konas and those type of races are like, but they're more like your prestigious ones where the, the Alcatraz I think is up there. Is Because, I, you know, I've growing up following the sport, that was one of the ones in the States that everyone kind of knew about, the, yeah. the, escape, from, the escape from Alcatraz. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you but know, it's still going. It's it still is. Going it's still going. And you know what's awesome about it is it's just so different. It really is like a, and a bit of an adventure type race, you know, with a, with a two kilometer swim where you just jump off a boat in the middle of the mm-hmm. San Francisco Bay there into freezing water. And even if the water looks reasonably flat, it's really not, it's up and down, which suits us as Australians yeah. used to that kind of swimming. And then, you know, the long run from the swim to the bike and then the bike isn't that long. It's 18 miles, which is what, 30 Okay. Yeah, or maybe it's maybe it's a bit more than that, but it's not far. But it's tough. It's up and down, and the roads. You know, there's always a, a crash or two on that course, just because the <laughs> roads are a bit nasty. And and then the run is just unforgiving, and it's just so much fun. And you've probably heard of the sand ladder and and running along the beach and all of that kind of stuff. And it really is one of those races. I actually look back in my own career. We look, the only race I kind of regret that I never won was. Escape from Alcatraz. I think I had seconds and thirds. I had a three-minute lead one year in front of Chris McCormack and Craig Walton and passed out with 2K to go. I was an idiot. That's a whole other story. But <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh, man, that was one that I didn't get to have. That's such a bummer. Yeah. Um, whereas people like Chris McCormack, Ben Canute, some of these guys have just won it. Andy Potts, I think, has won it many, many times. But I, it does suit the powerful swimmer, powerful biker like yourself and the strong runner. So I think you you would crush it. Yeah, well, we'll have to book that in. Oh. I'll, I'll get the. I'll yeah. I'll definitely be there next year. <laughs> well, let, let's shift gear a little bit. I want to just talk about your, your team. You you still working with Joel Filial? Yeah. So currently, yep, still with Joel. Um, I'm in Leeds at the moment. That's where my my fiance is based out of. Um, so whilst I'm here, I do a lot with the Leeds Triathlon squad. But um, yeah, no, Joel's still still my coach. And at the moment, I, I kind of like it the way we've we've got it set up where. 
um, I'm taking a bit more ownership of my day-to-day program mm. and occasionally I'll, I'll flick things through to him and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, sp- specifically when leading into a race because that's what I find mm. the, the hardest. So like when leading, I mean like the last week, yeah. I always the kind taper. of second guess. And like, yeah. yeah, the taper. And, and I think it's probably the hardest part to get right, I think. I'm, I'm sure you you were the same, but it's it's one where you can do it the same taper every time and have different feelings on race day. Um, so it is kind of hard to get right. So that's that's a period where I I really use Joel's experience and expertise and, and flick him through stuff that I, I think I want to do in the week leading in, and he'll say, "Hey, how about you think about that or this and yeah. etc." So we've got a good thing working at the moment, and and yeah, out of leads with um, a swim with the swim squad here is you know Georgia Taylor Brown, Jess Leamont. Um, non Stanford, Vicky Holland, those type of people. So, wow, can um, you yeah, keep course, up with they're they're these women? They're they're out. <laughs> Jess keeps Jess keeps you on my toes. That's for sure. I bet. I bet. <laughs> You're like, hang <laughs> on, I'm leading out the men's races here. This is not right. Uh, yeah, honestly though, there's, there's times in the pool I'll I'll be going hard and I'll I'll finish my rep and then next minute Jess has just touched like a second later. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> I'm like maximum heart rate of 200 and, and you're right there. So, so um, no, she definitely keeps you on your toes. So, good. so that's the, the coaching setup that I have at the moment. Yeah. It's funny. You talked about tapering and that final week and importance of having somebody. I remember going into major races where I had to win. It wasn't, you know, a choice of mm. not winning the Dallas races and things like that. And I'd often about two weeks out just say, right, Laura, take over because I'm losing my shit over mm. here. I'm like, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm going for too much, as you kind of said, with the whole Olympic vibe. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. re- I can feel myself reaching for too much. And um, it was always nice to just go, look, you own it and I'll do everything you told me. Yeah. And even though she was racing herself, she would take on my burden as well. Does Non help you a little bit with that or have you guys kept a little bit separate? Uh, I'd say we're a little bit more separate than that. I certainly ask her stuff and, and bounce some ideas off her. Mm. Um, and, and, and she'll mind me. She, she sometimes does the same to me and then probably does the opposite to what I say anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> we jokingly say we could probably never fully coach each other. Uh, yeah. we, we try and keep that a bit separate. But, um, no, we definitely bounce certain ideas off each other, that's for sure. Yeah. And like you said, I think, yeah, that last period is the hardest part. And I just find that I'm, I'm more, yeah, second-guessing myself in that period. It's like, should I feel fresher? Should I be doing more? Am I tapering? Am I doing too little because I, I felt like I was too tired and so now I need to do a little bit less, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah I, I really just find that, that, that period quite hard to, to get right. No, it's nice that you've got that team. How long have you been with Joel? You've been, is it 10 years or so? No, or no, 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 since no, 2016, so we, right? I was with Jamie for a long time. So between, yeah, I was with Jamie for probably 10 more, more years. Probably, yeah, no, about 10 years actually. That's, okay. Yeah. And then I moved, and so then Non and I started dating, and we sort of dated in the start of 2016. But I stayed with my squad; she stayed with hers, and so we hardly saw each other that year. And then by the end of the year, we thought, well, one something's got to change. And I was kind of looking for a little bit of a change anyway. With I'd been with Jamie for so long, so I decided to to move to Leeds. And so for 17, 18, we were based in Leeds, and and there's. It's a different setup here. There's there's a swim coach, there's a bike coach, and then there's an overall triathlon coach. So you had a few different people. Right. sort of controlling your program. Um, and then in at the end of 2018, yeah, Non had a – we sort of touched on it a little bit earlier, but she, she finished fourth at the Olympics. And similar to what you were saying, she's slowly coming around to be proud of that that mm. result. But yeah. um, she certainly had an Olympic hangover, we call it, and for two years there she was she was really struggling and probably was going to throw the sport away. And, and at the end of 2018, we, we both sort of said, look, we, we something has to change. Um, you know, probably need to change of environment because none had been here for so long. And so that's when we looked to Joel and, and in 2019, um, at the end of 2018, 2019, we, we started with the squad and that really um, reinvigorated Non's career, mm. especially like that. She went on and um, after a couple of lean years, she was back fighting for the win. She had a couple of WTS wins that year or, or podiums or she won one and, and a couple of podiums as well. So, um, yeah, no, joined, joined Joel in, in 2019. So, okay. um, yeah, been with him for three or three or four years now. Well, he's an incredible coach. I do need to bring him back on the show. Actually, I had him on the show almost two years ago now. Um, and he's done exceptionally well mm. for his career and all the athletes that he has. This has been really wonderful, by the way. I really appreciate you just sharing your journey and all your knowledge, but let's conclude with some, just some fun rapid fire questions. 
So what sort of fast twitch fibers you got left? Not not much. (laughs) Best and worst subjects at school? Oh, best was probably PE and worst was um, science. Science. Uh, What are you currently watching on Netflix? Uh, uh, Big Timber, it's called. Oh, it's a silly show. Um, (laughs) You're embarrassed to say it. (laughs) Yeah. I was trying to think of something else that I was watching just prior so I could could say that instead. So you Um, could sound profound. And it's like, no, the truth comes out. All right. Big big Timber, everyone. Go check it out. Yeah, Big Timber. I don't recommend it, but hey, it's... Easy viewing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what you need when you're an athlete. You don't want to be, you're too tired to be emotional. Um, All right. What's the number one book you would gift somebody? Ooh, number one book. um, It's probably been said before on the podcast, Open, I think it's called by Andre Agassi. Mm -hmm. Nicer. I like Um, that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's awesome. First car you owned? Subaru, 1994 Silver Subaru Outback, I think it was. Very cool. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Two most used apps on your phone. Instagram, I'd say, and probably WhatsApp. Uh, what time of day are you most productive? Around this time. So we're what are we about four p.m. Really? Yeah, so probably around at this time. Yeah. Gosh, normally I'm going I am. up swimming. In and terms everything. of oh, so in terms of like no, not for training. So mm-hmm. I, if anything, admin side. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's when I get everything else done. Training, I get that all done beforehand. Yeah. And so we're I talking. You're at three o'clock, right? Four o'clock. 4 p.m. now. 4 p.m., yeah. Yeah. All right, here's one that I think I know the answer, but I'll throw it to you. First job. What did I get? Oh, in my dad's fruit and veg shop. Oh, good man. Yeah. Greengrocer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, who does... Just lifting boxes. (laughs) Who does most of the chores around the home? Oof. I just saw Non's car drive in, so um, I better answer this before she gets in the door. Uh, (laughs) Me. (laughs) Yeah, that's always a good one. Yep, 100% me. Non does nothing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Who would you want to play a movie of your life? So I don't necessarily see the resemblance, but uh, a few of my friends say that I look like a poor man's Bradley Cooper. Oh, so poor man's Bradley Cooper. (laughs) Yeah. So so not quite as good as Bradley Cooper, but I can see that actually. I get that. If you if you just made your hair a little blonder. Yeah, yeah. Well, they so used to say that when I did have the beach blonde hair. Oh, you did have the, the beach blonde. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Good choice. I like that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Which decade of music is best? I'm, yeah, I'm not huge into to music. I must say, I, I tend to just if I'm listening to music, just throw the Spotify on and just go through the latest hits. Mm. Maybe like the '90s because my parents had that '80s '90s. They had that on playing quite a lot. Good. Um, mm. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, not 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 someone that's really big into music, I must say. No. All right. Where's well, somewhere that you haven't been you'd like to go? Well, we're going so I haven't been, but I'd really like to go and we are going for our honeymoon Peru and to the Inca Trail. That's mm, what I'm really looking yeah, forward to. Yeah, you mentioned that at the start of the show. That's, that's not a place I've been to either. You want to be fit for that though, right? You've got to be pretty fit. Yeah, so they you travel up over 4,000 metres, I think, 4,500, 5,000 metres of elevation. Wow. The, the actual walking distance per day isn't that bad. But, um, yeah, so I, I've, I've been talking to a few people. It's funny actually because we're going not long after our honeymoon and uh, no one was talking to the physiologist or um, about you know what should we do to prepare for this. Uh, um, mm. So I think we're actually going to go into the altitude tent, <laughs> uh, leading into our wedding, um, so that we're fit for our honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that! You're going into the altitude yeah. tent, or you're going to altitude? Because we no, yeah, because we're getting married and and then going so getting married in Leeds and then basically flying straight from from the wedding to. Um, to Peru to, to do the Inca Trail, we're going to set up the altitude tent. You have the tent going. Altitude. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, that's so, of course you are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last last rapid fire. Greatest movie of all time? Ooh, Law Abiding Citizen is quite good. Mm. Or Fracture. It's not as popular. I'm not sure if, you, if you've seen that. It's got yeah, Anthony yeah. Hopkins in it. Yeah, yeah. One of those two. Nice, I like yeah. it. All right, mate. That was a good, that was a really good episode. I appreciate it. So what's next for you? What's yeah. coming up? You got, you got Dallas and um, 70.3 Worlds. So big yeah, training block at the moment. Yeah, big block now. So that's at the time of recording this, we've got three weeks till Dallas. So yeah, yeah the last, I obviously raced Collins Cup just a week ago. Um, yeah. I kind of just was planning to do that this week quite easy. And then, and then I saw on Tuesday, only four days after the race that Magnus Diplev put on his Instagram that he did 12, 
1200s on the track. So I felt really lazy and <laughs> thought, right, I can't, I can't keep recovering. I've got to get back into work. Uh, he's, uh, did you listen to his episode a few weeks ago? I had him yeah, on I have. recently. Yeah. He's, uh, he's pretty intent on what he wants that guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, awesome. Huge fan of Magnus. He's a, he's, he's a great guy. guy. He's a lovely guy. Very I'm looking forward to watch you guys well. race and battle each other. This next generation. It's awesome to watch. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so Dallas and then 70.3 Worlds, and, and like I mentioned earlier, depends on points and that, and obviously got the wedding, so that, that might be it for the year. All right, mate. Well, congrats on everything you've done to date. Um, looking forward to, you know, continue watching you, and, and congrats to you and Non also on the wedding coming up. Um, looking forward to having Non on the show, ideally even pre-wedding, <laughs> so we can we can have a little chat. That'll be wonderful. But Aaron, thanks so much for taking the time, and just sharing your journey and all your knowledge, mate. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Greg. It's, it's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. And listeners can um, find all the show notes and timestamps. And you know, I'm ha- open to feedback as well, but you can find all the show notes and timestamps at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.